If I were a rich man, yabba dibba 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 dum. All day long I'd biddy biddy bum if I were a wealthy man. I wouldn't have to work hard, yabba dibba 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 dum. If I were a biddy biddy rich, idle deedle diddle 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 man. In the 1971 adaptation of Fiddler on the Roof, Tevia the Dairyman sings those words. At first, while shoveling hay to his lame horse, but later, as the words of that song become the prayer of his heart and even his greatest dream and imagination, he begins to dance around the barn. You might remember the image of him shaking his hands in joyful celebration of what his life would be like if he only had more money. If I were a rich man. Who among us doesn't sing some form of those words in our hearts? If I were a rich man, if I had just a little bit more money, if only I got paid what I'm really worth, if only I'd started saving for retirement when I was younger, if only I could win the Mega Millions jackpot, then my life would be better. All my problems would go away. But would they really? 21 years ago this summer, I sat in the small home office of a farmer who lived and worked in the middle of Illinois, and I watched him stare at his computer monitor, looking at the futures for soybeans and corn, trying to figure out what he would do. He was a very faithful man, one who, curious enough, made buckwheat pancakes every single morning, 365 days a year, whether anyone in his family wanted pancakes or not. He explained to me that commodity prices for soybeans and corn, his two chief crops, had been depressed for several years, so instead of selling his whole harvest each year, he had put most of it into silos, hoping that prices would increase. But they hadn't. Now his barns were full. He had no place to store any more crops, and he didn't know what to do. I know what I will do, the rich fool in Jesus' parable said to himself. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. In this parable that Jesus tells the crowd, the rich man didn't get rich by accident. He might have been a fool in God's eyes, but everyone in the town knew that he was a shrewd farmer and businessman. He knew that when the land produced abundantly what we would call a bumper crop, the price of grain would fall. So rather than sell his crop at a discounted price, the man decided to use his capital to pull down his current barns and build larger ones, increasing his capacity to wait out the glut. Maybe next year a drought would come. Maybe global supply chains would be interrupted. 
maybe geopolitical instability on the heels of a global pandemic would send prices through the roof. Well, this rich man could afford to wait, and the longer he waited, the richer he would be. Except he forgot one thing. You fool, God said to him. This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This man who excelled in agribusiness somehow forgot that his whole life was on loan, and that the owner of that debt could call it in at any minute. There is no barn big enough for us to store up enough grain to ransom our own lives. But Jesus wasn't telling this parable as advice for rich farmers in ancient Palestine, nor was he speaking to a middle-class farmer in present-day Illinois. Jesus was talking to a crowd of ordinary people, all sorts of people, rich and poor people like you and me, And he was telling them this story in response to a man whose brother had refused to divide the family inheritance with him. Tell my brother to divide it, to share it with me, that scorned sibling said to Jesus. And the parable of the rich fool is Jesus' way of teaching all of us what it means to be rich toward God. Notice that the brother in the story, not unlike the farmer in the parable, assumed that he was in the right. Instead of asking Jesus for an interpretation of the Jewish laws of inheritance, he jumps right to the end and asks Jesus to tell his brother to split the money with him. Behold how good and how pleasant it is When brethren dwell together in unity, Jesus might have said in response, quoting Psalm 133. Although there are rules governing how much each sibling should get, Scripture makes it clear that it is better, even ideal, when siblings can live together on the family estate to dwell together in unity and share that inheritance rather than liquidate it all and split the proceeds. But this angry brother was beyond that possibility. They were past the point of negotiations. He wanted his check, and he wanted it now. But how will an inheritance check make anything better? How will all that money help a man feel his parents' love when he cannot even sit down and break bread with his siblings? Like fences and neighbors, careful estate plans do make for better sibling relationships, trust me. But the key to maintaining a healthy family isn't making sure that everybody gets the right amount of money. It's remembering that a parent's love cannot be measured by real estate or an investment account. It's making sure that the material things do not begin to take place of what really matters. It's remembering that one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We all want to be the rich farmer. 
We want enough grain stored in our barn so that we can say to our souls, souls, good news, you don't have to work anymore. You can relax. This is the time for you to eat and drink and travel and be merry. Tevia's song becomes our retirement plan. If I were a rich man, I wouldn't have to work hard anymore. If I had enough money, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. If I could save enough, I wouldn't need anything else. Everything will be taken care of. But our lives do not consist in the abundance of possessions. Our true security never comes from a retirement account or a pension or an inheritance check. That is vanity. If the most important question in our life, the question we ask ourselves the most is, when will I have enough? We will never be rich toward God. Because we cannot belong to God if our bank accounts make us feel like we belong to ourselves. Everything we have belongs to God, and we must give it all back. The rich farmer didn't produce anything. The land did. The angry brother didn't earn that inheritance. His parents did. You are not responsible for your own success. God is. And learning that truth is the first step to becoming rich toward God. But that truth runs contrary to everything our lives, our nation, our economy has been built upon. There is no truth more difficult for us to apply to our own lives than that one. Yet no truth is more essential for our salvation. Your entire life is one big loan from God and there is nothing you could ever do to repay it. But the good news is, you don't even have to try. In fact, until you stop pretending that the sum total of your life's accomplishments is anything other than a gift from God, you're going to have a pretty hard time figuring out that God's love is the only thing that can save you. Not your money, not your career not your family, not your perfect plans, not even your greatest success. The only thing that can save you is God's gift of love in Jesus Christ. And God has already poured out that love upon you with abundant lavishness. If you want to experience that love, if you want to know the freedom from anxiety that that love can bring, if you want to be rich toward God, Stop storing up treasures for yourself and give it all away. 